WP Talk, the Wealth Professional Podcast. Only 25% of working Canadians are very confident in their retirement income. Are your clients confident that they'll have enough? Retirement income insights, solutions and expertise for the new retirement reality from McKenzie Investments. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of WP Talk. I'm your host, James Burton, Managing Editor of Wealth Professional Canada. For this episode, it's my pleasure to welcome Rob Tetro, SVP Portfolio Manager, Tetro Advisory Group with Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. In particular, in this pod, we discuss his three investing highlights of 2021, but we also look ahead to 2022 and whether clients should temper return expectations And then we also chat a bit more about music royalties in a portfolio and also, impressively, how we snuck in a marathon during the past 12 hectic months. The pod starts with our guest in full flow. First of all, welcome to WP Talk. Oh, great to be here, James. Thanks for having me. Um, So 2021. So this is obviously we're still we're still in the midst of of a pandemic. But from your position, from your your practice is vantage point. How's it been for you? Well, for my practice, it's been unbelievable. Uh, we had the best growth year we've, I think we've ever had. Part of that is net new assets, so uh, new clients joining, coming on board. Part of that is clients being successful in their own business and their own practice, either selling their business or, or selling their their farm or, or whatever it may be, or just saving more money. So that's been a big part of it. And then part of it is the market, obviously, um, doing well as well. So we've had uh, 2021 has been a phenomenal year. Uh, and even on the personal side, right, I started jogging. I started um, working out. I ran a marathon. I'm on my way to Tucson next weekend for a marathon. So kids are growing up. Uh, life keeps moving. But it's, it's 2021 was a fun year. Uh, hold on a minute. Just rewind this. Like you, you ran a marathon in 2021. I did, yeah, and I hadn't run one in like 15 years or whatever. So, yeah, I, I started jogging about a year ago, right around Christmas time. Uh, right around, yeah, the, when I turned the calendar of 2021, I started jogging, and then I decided I would I run a marathon, and I did my I did the Manitoba Marathon in September. Now the time wasn't fantastic, but more importantly, I, I finished it. I had a bit of an injury late, but I finished it, and I did decently well. And now I'm getting ready for Tucson. I'm going down to Tucson in December to run a marathon. So pretty excited personal growth and professional growth fantastic yeah yeah you want both right yeah exactly exactly all right so i think it's quite nice to look at the the good parts i mean it's been a it's been a couple of years where there's been a lot, lot of negativity so um you know just put a nice positive slant on this your highlights from 2021 maybe kick us off with your with your first sort of you know highlight from the past 12 months, maybe that's investing, maybe that's with a client. To, to All yours, Rob, your first one. Sure. So my first, I, I guess, so you've, I think we're talking highlights today. And I think one of the highlights has been, um, I think, just the the, the depth of, of planning and advice that we gave for clients to just stay invested. It was very hard this year to just stay invested and to continue to own equity and to continue to own growth. And to continue to be kind of on the on the the beta side of that trade, so to not kind of just go 
all cash or all defensive at many points in the last year, right? Like we look at where we were a year ago. I got the screen up in front of me here. I got the chart up in front of me. Like it's it's a straight kind of very consistent move from the S and P five hundred to go from like thirty six hundred, you know, to thirty eight to four thousand, forty two to forty four to now to, to forty six hundred and. It would have been easy to just say at some point, let's protect capital, let's let's get out of the market, let's and then we'll wait for a pullback. So it's not one we believe in. And I think that's a big that was a big success this year was staying fully invested and fully participating in that market rally and just you know making sure to, to get the clients on board with being invested in equities and making sure to get them to bring over their cash and invest that cash. And as a result, you know, the clients have done really, really well. So that I'd say that'd be uh, are really good. It's more of a generic kind of success. It's not a stock pick for say. I do have some of those coming for you, but it's uh, this first one is just really to make sure that we were invested and we we didn't waver from our strategy. How how easy was that? Were, were people receptive? No, it was hard because remember last year we went through the pandemic. The market got hammered. I don't need to remind everyone what happened there. And all through the recovery, there was all these pundits everywhere talking about a W recovery, or you know, it would it would come back. But like, be careful. There's more coming. You know, this pandemic's not over. It's be careful, be careful, be careful. Was the theme of CNBC and the BNNs and the media, and so like the be careful theme really took hold and really got into our clients' psyche. So we had to just you know, remind clients earnings growth and net present value of future cash flow and how we measure companies and what's happened to the earnings of your companies and why we continue to own those companies. So it was very hard, I'd say, because coming out of COVID, investors, like they, they took a beating emotionally, right? Like that was a really tough, tough time, the Q1, Q2, 2020. And for them to just immediately forget it was, was tough. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, it goes without saying, but if you, if you stayed invested, you've, you've been rewarded, right? I mean, the proof's in the pudding. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I don't need to tell you that, but uh, I, it's something that we preach to our clients. Now, there will be times where we will preach to be a little bit more defensive for some clients or with some portion of their assets or whatever that may be. But for the equity components of our clients, we stayed long. And that's a big, I think that's a big uh, success or, or a big highlight of 2021. And, and that ended up being very beneficial for clients. Just jump ahead there before you go get into your your second highlight. Jump ahead to sort of how that um, how that might uh, manifest itself in twenty twenty two. Now I know obviously no one's got a crystal ball, but um, you know there's a lot of talk around um, how advisors should temper clients' expectations around returns for twenty twenty two, and maybe the markets will slow. Um, in terms of being cautious, staying invested, how how do you sort of look ahead to next year with regards to that uh, part? Yeah, I think I think you're you're hitting a, a really good point there. In that we can't, we know that we're not going to make twenty five, thirty percent every year, right? You you just it can't happen. It cannot happen. So that means either one, we get a bit of a correction or a pullback at some point, and, and that's fine. Those are healthy, and those will happen. Or two, you take a look at asset allocation. So I'm a big believer in, in reducing volatility for a client's portfolio using asset allocation. And for us, we use alternatives. I've talked to you about this in the past, James, whether it's private debt, private real estate, private equity, you know, music royalties, farmland, an asset class that is uncorrelated to the stock market. Our goal in those is usually to hit double digits with very, very little volatility and very little correlation to the stock market. So we believe that that'll be a good place to be in 2022. We believe that, and, and I mean, our clients own that. So in a year where the market does 30, 
obviously if we're only making 12 with that sleeve, we're underperforming. But in a year, if we see a five or 6% or a minus 10 or 12, that portion of the portfolio is going to be very, very valuable. And regardless for us, we believe that having a sleeve of your portfolio or a portion of your portfolio generating very stable kind of 10% returns or 8% returns or 12% returns is incredibly valuable for a portfolio. We forget about that. It sounds like I'm, I'm making crazy talk here saying, why would I not just want to own pure equities? But remember, long term, the equities are not going to do 25-30% every, every year. So we, we believe that there's a huge benefit in owning uncorrelated assets for reduced volatility and for the benefit of psyche of our clients. Yeah. Um, I have to to say, Rob, uh, when you mentioned music royalties, that jumped out. That's something that we, we definitely haven't spoken about before. Is that relatively new in your portfolios? Uh, yeah, I forget. I, I've definitely spoken to uh, some media outlets on this, but no, maybe we haven't yet. But it's I'd say in the last couple of years, we have, we've added music royalties. The idea is that, you know, a song is like a piece of real estate and it, it generates an income cash flow every time it's streamed. And if you own that catalog or that individual song or an artist catalog, you can collect royalties from that. And if you're able to acquire a catalog of songs at a, at a discount multiple, you know, at a five or six or seven multiple, then you can get really, really good returns long term. And if streaming, as I think will happen, streaming starts to increase and streaming starts to get a bigger part of our lives, then you don't need increase on the multiple, you just get increase in the cash flow. So our target with our, our music uh, royalties is kind of in the eight to 10% range. But in the back of my mind, I'm hopeful that we get more into the 12, 13% range. And I think, like, think of, of everywhere you listen to music, James. I don't know if you're a music guy. Are you a music guy, James? Yes. Yeah. What's your What's your favorite artist? Oh, you know what? I mean, there's so many, but uh, I'll pluck out um, someone like Doves. I mean, I'm, I'm a big UK indie All right. music scene. So that's my... You see how I'm turning this around and I'm interviewing you now? <laughs> <laughs> so, so the Doves. Okay, so, like, if, if those are, you know, if they're being streamed now, perhaps typically on your Spotify or on your Apple Music or whatever it may be. But there will be a time where it's going to be maybe on your Peloton, right, on your bike. Maybe it's going to be on, on some sort of jogging app that you use and you listen to. Maybe it's going to be on, on a video game or maybe it's a Twitch feed or maybe it's a YouTube channel, whatever. There's just way more opportunities now that we are consuming media like 24-7. Everyone's consuming media. People are listening to, to, to radio at work now on their earphones or working from home and listening. So there's way more opportunity to stream. So I'm a believer that streaming revenue will increase and therefore uh, these will be more valuable in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, quickly, can you give can you give us a flavor of some of the artists you might have exposure to? Uh, you know, it's a catalog of a whole bunch of different artists and um, I'm trying to think. I mean, there is, I think, Taylor Swift's in the catalog and um, but generally you don't want to get the, uh, you know, the, the Neil Young's and the, you know, the Led Zeppelin's are, are going to be very expensive. So you typically would want to stay away from stuff that is extremely well hyped. So if ever you see a press release and they're announcing that someone is selling their catalog, that's too hyped. So you, the, the multiple is going to be too hyped because it's now bringing in the media, you know, it's, it's been publicized. So you want to buy stuff that's kind of off the beaten path. Uh, we like to focus on stuff that's you know three to seven years. And by the way, I don't do this myself. We work with a, a third-party manager that does this for us. So it's not me picking the catalogs, but it's an asset class that I, I believe in. 
Okay, yeah, no, it's uh, it's super interesting. And again, we're not talking about uh, putting fifty percent of your money in music royalties, right? It might be two or three percent of a portfolio, but it's an alternative asset class that probably very few people out there own. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, Rob, move ahead to your uh, your second highlight from twenty twenty one. Okay, I'm going to go, this is a, it's probably too volatile for a lot of advisors out there, but we actually took a rather decent position in crypto for our clients about a year ago. Uh, we liked the uh, Ethereum, we ended up buying an Ether ETF, and we did it for our max growth clients only. Um, so the clients that wanted, you know, uh, more growth and had a, a higher risk tolerance and were willing to withstand volatility and depending on the, the client anywhere from two to five percent so a small portion in crypto but as you probably know that's been a you know 8x or 10x or whatever it's been so it's been very very good uh, and I, I'm not a crypto bug by any stretch I'm just merely I was merely playing a momentum play that I thought you know at some point these ETFs, the US ETFs, there's going to be mutual funds, there's going to be demand, there's going to be retail demand, there's going to be institutional demand. So I was simply playing kind of a, a hunch that, you know what, it's, it's an asset class, let's own it, especially for, for higher risk individuals. And it turned out great. How do you approach the, uh, especially with, I guess, conversations with the clients, the, the volatility around some of that? Because obviously, you know, everyone knows that's there. But um, what sort of conversations do you have to have to, to make people aware of that. Yeah, so this is only going to go into clients' accounts or individuals that really can withstand the volatility and really, you know, the volatility of crypto, you know, in their lives, they get way more volatility than this. So individuals that are, are you know, max risk tolerance and max growth profile. So I do mention the volatility. I let them know, here's what we're doing. We're going to be adding a, this as an asset class and expect it to be crazy volatile. It might go to zero. I'm hoping it won't. But if, you know, if there's a bit of more momentum in the space over the next 12, 24 months, maybe we'll make some money. And you know what? We'll, we'll trim it along the way if it goes up. And that's what we did. So as it would double or whatever, we would trim and kind of get it back to a, a reasonable asset allocation. And we turned those profits into other companies. And, um, you know, it's it's been really good for clients. Do you, do you foresee that type of strategy um, becoming more popular or people's exposure to crypto increasing in, in, in general as, as time goes on? I do think so. And again, I'm not trying to to make a statement here as to whether or not, you know, crypto is going to change the world and whether or not it's going to replace currency. I actually don't think that's going to be the case. But I do think there's an opportunity for more adoption. And I do think we have not peaked yet on the retail demand for crypto, especially if you look at how hard it is to buy it in, in many places on the planet still. You know, aside from opening a wallet, you know, Canada's Canada's got ET, uh, ETFs, but a lot of places don't. So access is still and then eventually more institutional buyers. So I'm a straight, the straight play here is just on more demand, likely increasing the price. So I think you're going to get more conversation. I think advisors are having these conversations now. And don't get me wrong, for, for nine out of the 10 people that call me, it's not right for them. But it is right for some individuals. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Okay, Rob. Uh, highlight number three. Uh, I'm going to go into something that may be less popular here, but it ended up being a call that we made, and it was just uh, adding Canadian oil and gas sector uh, exposure over the last year. We've done it a few times. Um, it was something that we were a little late on, but still very, very, very early in the game. Um, we just figured that 
people are still going to drive cars. They're going to. We're not there yet where this is going to stop. And we didn't know it would rally this much. We didn't know the the oil and gas and the WCS would would rally this much. The Western uh, Western Canada Select uh, Canadian oil prices would rally this much, but it ended up being good. And uh, the names that we bought, if, you, if you've bought some of these Canadian names, either the small caps or the mid caps, or even just some of these Canadian oil and gas mutual funds, you've done quite well. And I'm, I'm happy that we made that play. Now, obviously, some of our clients don't want oil and gas exposure at all, and we don't have it in their portfolios. But anyone who's agnostic to it, to the sector, uh, they have some and, um, you know, they've, they've gotten that benefit. As- it's really interesting. Like it's it's kind of a bit of a dichotomy right now. You you know, we just had COP twenty six. There's so much talk about green energy, climate change, and and yet, like you said, um, Canadian oil and gas is is doing pretty well. I mean, how, how do you explain that? Well, that's exactly why. Because you end up it, it, once something is so out of favor that no one is buying it that's becomes a time to buy it right so like we followed clean uh, clean energy etfs and green energy etfs and we had a lot of clients it's it's almost we almost have a barometer james internally here just because we have so many clients and just because we have so many conversations with real human beings i can kind of sense when something is bubbling and i can kind of sense when something is is out of favor just by the number of phone calls and conversations i'm having about a specific topic so there are times I could tell you in the last couple of years where we've had multiple phone calls on clean energy and stuff and ended up being a sign for me that it was overvalued, right? Because when, when everyone wants something, that's a, that, that's a sentiment of the market, right? So an asset is likely to be overpriced. And contrary to that, nobody was calling me asking about energy stocks. In fact, people were telling me to remove energy stocks from their portfolios. So uh, you get the reverse sense there. You get like when no one's buying. There's no, when no one's buying, right, you're bound to get a little bit of appreciation at some point once something starts to get into favor, right? Or more importantly, when everyone's selling, when everyone's selling an asset class, once you're out, once all the sellers are out, like some of these Canadian energy stocks, they just got hammered. They went almost to to less than their one-year cash flow. So, you know, again, we're not, I'm not a genius by any stretch, but we just kind of made that, that play and ended up being a bit of a highlight for our year. Um, that's three, that's three great picks, Rob. I'm just sort of, again, I know we've alluded to 2022. Um, I mean, what's your, what's your sort of takeaway heading, heading into the turn of the year? What, what sort of things would you think, um, some of your peers, fellow advisors, um, should have sort of top of mind as we, as we turn the corner into 2022, fresh year? I think advisors out there are very smart and they, they, I don't think they need to be told what to do. Uh, but I, I mean, if you're asking me what we're doing, um, you know, we have our research team has kind of put out a commentary kind of consistently over the last year or two that they're expecting some sort of cycle reset in late in 2022. So that might be 10% or 15% or 20% correction, but they're expecting some sort of cycle reset. So we're extremely aware of that. I mentioned earlier in the podcast how we're looking to use asset allocation to kind of protect capital for that. So if a client would typically be, you know, 80% stocks and and 20% fixed, well, maybe we're going 50% stocks, 20% fixed and 30% alts, right? So less stock exposure, more kind of uncorrelated assets. And, you know, if the stocks continue to rally to the tune of 25, 30%, that's great. We still got a lot in the portfolio. 
But if they don't, well, we'll be pretty happy that we got that 30% sleeve that's doing 8, 10, 12%. So that's our view going into 2022. If ever there is a cycle reset, I guarantee you I will do the same thing I did in 2020, which is sell alts and fixed income and buy equities. We believe tactical asset allocation is very important. And we did it in 2020. In Mar February, March, April, we were extremely active. We trimmed equity in late January. We added fixed income and alts. And then we just reversed that trade in March, April. And it ended up, uh, you know, if you can buy a bank stock yielding, I think it was, they were yielding like 7% while you back up the truck, my dad would always say, right? So we, we just, we just kind of did some of that basic tactical asset allocation. And if that opportunity prevents itself, presents itself again in 22, James, I'll be ready. Thanks for joining us for this episode of WP Talk. That was a really enjoyable chat with Rob. It's always good company with an interesting take. For more WP Talk episodes, go to wealthprofessional.ca, click on the resources tab and select WP Talk. The site also includes all the latest news and views from the industry. And if you haven't already, feel free to sign up to our daily newsletter. I'm James Burton. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of WP Talk. For more on retirement income insights, solutions and expertise for the new retirement reality, visit mckenzieinvestments.com. That's mckenzieinvestments.com for more. For the latest episodes, be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher and Apple Podcasts.